Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of What the Politics. I'm Victoria, and Emily is right here with me in the studio. And today we are talking to Michael Walden, who is a professor from NC State University. And our topic for the day is the economy and how it's going to look like after the pandemic. But I'm going to go ahead and let our guest introduce himself. This is Mike Walden. I'm a professor of economics at North Carolina State University, where I have taught for 43 years. And um, the last couple of decades, I have focused on the North Carolina economy and public policy. Okay. And one of the things that we also ask is a personality question. And it's Mm -hmm. March. And I'm not sure if you're a basketball fan, if you have any kind of stake in the March Madness game. Do you have (laughs) any any sort of preference? Well, I am uh, not originally from North Carolina, so I'm not from uh, Tobacco Road, where I am now, where basketball is king. Uh, Mm -hmm. Instead, what I get excited about in March is the beginning of Major League Baseball, because my town is Cincinnati. Cincinnati has the distinction of having the first professional baseball team, 1869, the Cincinnati Reds. And so I get excited about why other people are following the um, the tournaments, basketball tournaments, I'm following spring training. Okay. Very cool. That is very cool. That's exciting. So going ahead and getting right into our topic here, we don't want to take up too much of your time today. Um, one of the biggest things going on, you know, right now is stimulus checks. Americans are starting to mm-hmm. see that, you know, 1400 hit their bank accounts. You know, those were lucky. Some of us are still waiting. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, when these stimulus checks, you know, we've had three up until this point. Are they hurting or helping the economy in, in the long run? You know, obviously right now and here it's, helping a lot of Americans who have really been struggling in this crisis of a pandemic. But in the long run, is it going to be more harmful than beneficial? Well, economics is a discipline that, that usually looks at trade-offs. We don't say something is all good and something is all bad. There, there's usually benefits and costs, um, mm. uh, gains and losses. And I think the stimulus checks are a very good example of that. Uh, the pandemic and the recession that it caused put a hole, if you will, in the economy put a hole in many family budgets, and one way to fill that hole and to keep the economy afloat and to generate jobs was to uh, provide a large number of households in the country with a stimulus check, and and we've had now, I think this is the third version of that, and um, clearly, if you look at the data, uh, it's worked. Uh, Consumer spending has not lagged at all. Um, Consumers are spending money. Uh, we are now seeing some, we have seen some good gains in jobs. We're not totally back, but we're about 95% back in terms of the jobs we had pre-pandemic. Uh, people are using the stimulus checks in different ways. A lot of people, the real estate market is very hot. A lot of people have decided to use that check to maybe make some alterations in their home, especially if they're working at home, maybe even buy a new home, maybe buy their first home. 
Uh, people have used those checks to pay down on debt. Uh, and they've also, as I said, used those checks to, um, to buttress their, their spending. So that's all good for the economy now because the economy has, has been in a recession. Uh, now long run, yes, we will pay for this. Um, the way I, the way most economists think about this is when you, um, do something like a stimulus program, like the 1.9 trillion. And actually, if you look at all the programs, the federal government has passed uh, since about a year ago. The total bill is now $6 trillion. Um, uh, even without that borrowing, we would have been in deficit, and the federal government typically has been borrowing. So all that money has been borrowed, and it's been borrowed from the future. Uh, there's The justification for that is that, that a lot of people would have suffered mightily. A lot of more businesses would have gone bankrupt. Uh, the hole in the economy would have been bigger if we had not done that. The cost, though, is that uh, that money will not be available to spend in the future because it's being paid back to whomever loaned the money to to the federal government. So economic growth in the future will be somewhat um, smaller. Um, the Wharton School of Business at uh, University of Pennsylvania actually just tried to quantify this specifically in looking at the, the $1.9 trillion. And they estimated that beginning in 2023, economic growth will be t- will be 10% slower than it would have been without the uh, the borrowing. And what that means is, for example, if we were on pace to grow at about 2%, which is about average, we'd be growing at 1.8% rather than 2%. And that may not seem like a lot, but when you apply it to an economy that is between 25 and $30 trillion, that's a lot of money. So the decision was made that money that we borrowed from the future and the uh, less economic growth that we will have in the future was worth it in order to save a lot of people, a lot of businesses, and in order to save a large part of the economy today. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the um, stimulus checks and really what everything's, everything that's happening right now, one of the concerns is, we'll dive more into North Carolina and the state of North Carolina in a, in a few moments. But one thing that I do want to kind of compare is the economy, the American economy compared to China. Um, I know they're doing pretty well in terms of how they're uh, getting out of this pandemic. At first, they had a lot of shutdowns and that cost them a lot. But right now, the American economy compared to China's economy, do you have any um, specific examples or do you have any specific um, comparisons about which one might do better in the long run? Well, the first thing to say about the Chinese economy, it, it, it's, it's pretty well accepted by uh, American economists or anyone who looks at data from China that Chinese data uh, collected by the government may not be as reliable as U.S. data. Um, the data that the U.S. government collects uh, it's not collected by politicians. It's collected by career economists, career statisticians, whatever area. It's very, very high quality. The, the concern is that the Chinese native data may be manipulated by the government to to put a obviously a rosier face on whatever is happening there. Now that said, China has been growing. Even even if you take account of those data discrepancies, China has been growing at a faster pace. For several years in the United States, that's mainly because uh, it's only been about 20 years that China really moved into the modern economic world. Uh, when I was growing up in the 1950s and 60s, uh, China had a very collectivist economy. It turned out to be a disaster. Uh, in the 70s, they, they introduced some, some capitalist, if you will, market notions 
Uh, they have a very, very uh, capable population workforce, and so they've been they've been taking off very rapidly. But that's because they never really had taken off, whereas our country's been doing this for for roughly 200 years. Um, China's probably going to continue to grow faster than the United States. But one problem that China's facing is they are they are on on a path to depopulate. Uh, largely due to their one-child rule that was in effect for something like 30 years, uh, they're actually going to see population declines in coming years, whereas the United States continues to add people. uh, A large part of that is immigration. Um, So uh, it's it's not clear to many economists that China is going to overtake the U.S. in terms of economic power. Mm-hmm. So focusing in a bit more on the state on North Carolina, um, the state's economic index, can you explain what exactly that is and the components of that? Uh, the index that I put out, which yes. is a leading yeah. index, yes. uh, that index is meant to not measure the status of where the economy is now. It is meant to uh, provide some indication of the direction the economy is moving. So for example, if that index goes up, it's signaling that the that economic growth in, in North Carolina will improve. If it goes down, it's signaling more, uh, economic growth in, in North Carolina will will slide. It's made up of several factors. It was actually modeled after a similar index that's done for the nation. Um, the components of it are a national economic index, um, the um, number of initial claims for for unemployment the uh, number of building permits, and um, the number of um, hours of work in manufacturing, as well as the uh, average weekly pay in manufacturing. All these factors have been found in other research to be signals. They're good good predictors of where the future economy is, is going. So I've been doing this index, I think, for Oh, over a dozen years, and right now it is uh, signaling improvement, uh, which I think uh, makes sense that as we open up the state, which I think we will, as more people uh, go back to work, which I think we'll see that, the, the state economy uh, should improve. Now, I will say that the index is not designed to pick up anything that's outside of, of the economic world, and obviously the pandemic is a good example of that. So the index did not signal the pandemic coming, as opposed to if you go back and look at the index prior to the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009, it actually signaled that recession. It did not signal the recession caused by COVID-19 because that wasn't an economic phenomenon. It was a medical phenomenon. And I will say, looking ahead, uh, one of, uh, most people are optimistic now. They're seeing the vaccinations increase. They're seeing... Uh, the uh, work numbers improve. We're seeing more confidence among consumers and businesses. The one thing we, we do need to keep uh, in our in our mirrors is that in, for example, Europe, they are having a big problem right now with the variants of COVID-19, um, and they've not they've not been doing the vaccinations the pace we've been doing. Mm-hmm. So you could construct a scenario where the variants get here, and before we get enough people vaccinated, they, they, it spreads like wildfire, and then we're back where we were a year ago. So I'm not saying that. I'm predicting that. I have no capability of predicting that, but I think that is a potential danger that we need to watch. And I think the way to handle that is to continue to vaccinate, vaccinate people as quickly as we can.
Mm-hmm. And then another kind of, as we were doing research, we noticed that you have eight North Carolina economic headlines for 2020 and 2021. I don't want to go through all those headlines. So one that did catch my eye is that North Carolina is forecasted to return to its pre-pandemic level of aggregate production by the end of 2021. How will that happen and why do you say that? Well, uh, economic production, um, it's called, we call that gross domestic product. There's a counterpart at the national level, simply the value of everything we do in North Carolina and uh, what broadcasters do, what educators do, what manufacturers do, uh, people in the tech sector do. We're able to, uh, to uh, aggregate that into one number so it represents the aggregate output of economic activity in the state. And uh, yes, it, it took a big drop about a year ago, particularly in April of 2020, but it's come back very, very strongly. Uh, and if it continues on its current trend, we will get back to pre-pandemic levels of that aggregate index by the fall of this year. Um, one, uh, you may, you may going to hit me with this for the next question, but also I might anticipate it. That does not mean that everyone who lost their job is going to have a job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the downside of what we may be seeing in the post-pandemic world. I think the biggest change in our post-pandemic world economically is going to be in the job market. And what's happened here is that business people, businesses uh, who were just who were shocked, like everyone was shocked by by the emergence of COVID-19 and the shutdowns, et cetera, they are now looking at people, workers as potential liabilities because workers uh, and everyone right now, of course, has in their head, are we are we out of the woods for my lifetime in terms of a pandemic or will there be others? And again, I can't answer that. But I do think in the back of many people's minds is, well, could we have another a pandemic repeat of this in years ahead? So a business person's looking at workers as potentially liability because uh, workers get sick, that can shut down their whole business from work from a virus. So I think what we're going to see in the post-pandemic world is a lot of effort by businesses to minimize their use of people as in terms of getting work done and use more machinery and technology. And that was a trend that was already occurring, but I think the pandemic has accelerated that. So I think that's one reason why we're not going to see a return to those very, very low unemployment rates that we saw pre-pandemic. I think in North Carolina, we were down to... 3.8% unemployment at the end of 2019. Uh, of course, we got up to around 16% during the pandemic. We're now down to 59 And I don't think we're going to see the 3.8% anytime soon. I think it'll be uh, at least a couple of years out before that happens. Sure. So one of the things that I'm really interested in is kind of what section of the economy suffered the most and which one is starting to kind of, you know, pick itself back on its feet and, and um, yeah. th- continue to thrive? You know, ha- what would you see the housing market, small businesses, nonprofits, yeah. which in your opinion as, a, you know, a specialist in this, would you say suffered the most and which one is, is you know, coming yeah. out on the other end? Well, that's a real good question because this has not been a recession that impacted all sectors of the economy equally did not impact all jobs uh, equally. So that's a very that's, that's a very good point to make. Um, clearly, the sectors that have been hurt the most were sectors that relied 
in order to do whatever that what they were doing relied on a lot of face-to-face activity and the and the best example of that is hospitality leisure mm-hmm. restaurants bars travel entertainment uh at the height of the pandemic 50 percent of the jobs in hospitality leisure had been cut 50 percent that is that's unheard of even if you go back to the 1930s, the, so, the so-called Great Depression, you didn't see numbers like that. Mm-hmm. Now, that sector has has come back, but it is still down about 20% in terms of its jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a sector where you will see a lot of change in the types of jobs, a lot of use of um, technology and machinery. For example, there are stories of New York hotels, some, some of which have been reopening, now using robots to clean rooms, you have no check-in when you go to hotels, you don't see a person. So I don't think all those jobs are, are going to come back. Uh, second most hurt would be per- the personal service sector because of the same thing that requires a lot of uh, face-to-face contact. So those are the two sectors I think are most vulnerable to um, in big changes uh, that result in not as many people being employed there. Now, there are sectors that are actually totally back, and then some, if you look at financial services, you look at the professional sectors, construction, you mentioned construction has done very well. Uh, those jobs, did, they did suffer some losses, not like hospitality and leisure, but they all those jobs, not necessarily the same jobs, it's just in terms of total employment, are back, and, and many of them are actually beyond what they were pre-pandemic. Um, the, the reason for, or two reasons for that, construction is a special case because construction was deemed uh, by most governors to be an essential service. So road work continued, home building continued, office construction continued. So those workers continued. And then we've had a boom in in the uh, home buying market, in the home construction market, because of our, previously we talked about stimulus checks, interest rates very, very low, people deciding that um, maybe they don't want to be in a big city, maybe they want to move in a suburb or rural area. So construction has done very, very well. And, and the professional sectors and things like financial services, a lot of that work has been able to, to be continued because people could use um, uh, computer technology to stay in contact. I've been able to stay in contact with my students. I've been able to continue to write, do research, et cetera. So uh, those sectors have not really missed a beat. And I think uh, I'll use this opportunity to say I think one of the big changes that, that economists are trying to figure out how big the change will be is a lot of people for the first time during the pandemic experienced working remotely. Now, I did a little of that uh, weekends, especially maybe a day here or there during the week. But I did most of my work uh, at my office at NC State. Uh, where I could see colleagues and see students, et cetera. But I've been totally uh, ensconced in my home office at the orders of the chancellor and, and continued my work. And uh, it's a different environment, but a lot of people have experienced that. And I think a big question is how many people and how many businesses are going to continue uh, working remotely? There are benefits and costs, benefits being to a business. It can be lower, reduce their costs because they don't have to rent office space. Cost would be you don't have your workers together collaborating, seeing people in the hallway, bouncing ideas off each other. So um, uh, there are pluses and minuses, but but I think where economists are right now is we think that 
more, more people will continue to work remotely than we had pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, we had about 8% of people working at least one day a week remotely. It's thought that we'll probably end up around 20, 25% working remotely. That's a big change, and I think that's probably one of the bigger changes in the workforce that's going to be a result of the pandemic. Sure. And and kind of on the other side of that, you know, you mentioned the possibility of, you know, what if the pandemic comes back or we have another situation like that? Do you think that the economy and businesses and the government are prepared for that to happen or have the knowledge now to be able to handle another situation like that? Because obviously, you know, nobody had a business plan going into 2020 that right. there was going to be a, you know, global pandemic. No one did. I, I had one. What are you talking about? Always be ready. <laughs> well, of course, we do, we do track, I mean, government people track the numbers. Uh, we track them at the state level. So uh, that's a daily, uh, That the, those numbers get a daily look. And so I, I do think, yes, there are people here in North Carolina, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Dr. Cohen, I know she tracks those numbers. Her, her staff tracks those numbers on a daily basis. You see them reported. So hopefully we can spot trends. Um, uh, different, there are some states, for example, that have totally reopened everything, everything's go. Um, uh, we have a federal system where states have a lot of control over these things. Not, it's not all done at the federal level. Um, I don't know that there's a plan. I think there's probably a recognition that we could have setbacks in, in which case I think probably here in North Carolina, if there were, if there was a spike in, um, in cases, uh, especially if they were engineered by variants, uh, we might have restrictions reimposed. Um, everyone, of course, hopes that doesn't 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 occur. But yeah, I, I don't know that I, I, there's a plan. But I do think people people in the, people in positions of responsibility are watching the numbers very very carefully and trying to spot if there if there's anything that looks like a a trend upward that deviates from, from the good news we've had in the last uh, month or two, uh, that would sound alarm bells. Sure. So I guess I'll, I'll phrase it um, also in a different way as well. Do you think that, you know, if another global or national pandemic were to happen, that we could, that it wouldn't be as detrimental to our economy the second time around, maybe because businesses learn how to work in different ways. Schools have obviously learned to adapt um, with hybrid learning and things like that. Do you think it would be, our economy would shut down as much, or do you think it would be a lesser blow? I think you could make the case it would be a lesser blow for all the things that you've said. We've, we've learn to live with the with the virus for for the better part of a year. Um, uh, we now have a significant part of the population that's uh, that's been vaccinated. Fortunately, due to my age, uh, seventy, I've got both my shots. Uh, I know my wife and I feel a little more confident now. Um, of course, if we did have a resurgence due to new variants, we're hopeful those shots would handle the new variants. And I guess the medical science, at least currently, seems to say it would. So yeah, I think you could. I think you could expect that um, if we did have a resurgence, it wouldn't be as, as bad. And so, what we have to do, I think, to guard best against that is again to get more and more people vaccinated as quickly as we can. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the kind of looking back to to North Carolina and looking at the warmer weather coming around, it's going to be a lot of the the 
places like the Outer Banks are going to see more tourism. The coastal region mm-hmm. is already prepping for the summer season. How do you see um, the economic impact of summer having on the state? Well, again, as things go in the direction, continue to go in the direction we now see, where we don't have any resurgence of the of the original COVID or the variants, we don't have any resurgence. We get more and more people vaccinated. Uh, then the president has said he's looking forward to people being able to have uh, a, a somewhat normal Fourth of the July celebration. I think that I think that's about right on target that we would expect to have a, a, a large number of the population vaccinated by, by July. If you add that plus the fact that there are people who have had COVID, they didn't know, know they had it because for whatever reason they, they didn't have symptoms, who already have immunity. And if you put those two together, the people who had it and have become self-immune with those who are immune due to the shots, we may reach that magical, what, what is called herd immunity, where enough of the people in the population have had COVID or been vaccinated against it, that the virus can't survive and gradually peters out. Again, I'm speaking outside my lane. I'm just parroting what I've heard medical people say. So yeah, I think I think summer, uh, for, I'm, I'm thinking 4th of July is a nice target for some kind of return to normalcy in, in, um, in, in summer where a lot of people take vacation and schools are out of sight. I think that's a logical target. And so I'm optimistic that that's going to happen. As we go through summer, more and more people will be able to enjoy the great summers here in North Carolina, mountain beaches, golf courses all over North Carolina. There's something great to do. So um, those are pretty much all the questions that we have that's relevant to um, the state of North Carolina. And because we do have this opportunity to talk to an economist, um, there's one thing that I wanted to ask you, and I even said this in our email, but what is your outlook or what do you think of cryptocurrency? Well, that's, that's, the cryptocurrency has been a very interesting phenomenon. It's, um, the goal of cryptocurrency is to uh, be an alternative currency to, for example, the dollar. Um, uh, backers of cryptocurrency um, argue that it'll that it'll be outside the control of the government. I mean, the government controls, particularly the Federal Reserve, controls the quantity of money that goes into the economy. In fact, it's used as a policy tool. Over the last year, we've had an incredible increase in number of dollar bills, if you will, that are that are in, in circulation. That can lead to to inflation. Uh, but it does give a, it does give a great deal of power to to the federal government via the Federal Reserve. Uh, cryptocurrency people, uh, I think, one of their objectives is to to uh, get away from that, to have a currency that is uh, a free market currency that's not under the thumb of the government. And um, cryptocurrency has had a challenge of uh, being accepted by uh, enough merchants and others to be viable and it looks like it's moving in that direction i think that's one of the reasons why the value has gone up another reason why the value has gone up is because unlike the federal reserve which can print as many dollars as it wants uh, that does raise fears of inflation that doesn't happen with cryptocurrency they the the amount of crypto currency if you will is is um uh 
determined by how many people can solve those crypto puzzles, I guess, and, and create the currency. But I think the better way of thinking, it's a limited amount. And so inflation is not really a problem there. In fact, I think one way of looking at it right now is sort of an alternative to the gold standard. And if the gold standard was the government can't create the gold, uh, so prices are prices aren't just going to go up and your dollars aren't going to decline in purchasing power. So, um, you know, I think a, a way to look at cryptocurrency, it's kind of the, it's kind of the digital counterpart to gold. And as people have become um, more concerned about, and I'm just, just channeling their fears, I'm not saying these are my fears, but as people, many, enough people have been concerned about the power of government in whatever realm, but particularly in the economic realm, uh, that's moved them to want to cryptocurrency to succeed. And then I think others have said, well, boy, we're, we're worried about inflation popping up. Look at all the money has Federal Reserve has created in the last year, for example. Well, cryptocurrency is a hedge against that also. Interesting. Well, I just wanted to, I, w- I was curious to know what your thoughts were on cryptocurrency was mm-hmm. and just get a little bit more insight. And those are all the questions that we have for you today. Um, thank you for taking the time to speak with Emily and I. We really, really enjoyed this conversation. You were very articulate Great. in explaining these points because this is not Emily nor I's wheelhouse, sort of say. We kinda, <laughs> we're just good at asking questions. And <laughs> we try even to be. Then, yeah, we ask, even then that's... You know, we get it. we're still practicing. Well, you, so you, you ask very perceptive questions, so you should feel good. Thank <laughs> you. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk okay. with us. We really appreciate it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bye, Emily and Victoria. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Have a great day. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up this episode of What the Politics. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday. We release new episodes. You can find those on WNCT.com under the Features section on the WNCT Podcast Network, as well as on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. 